away from the book of John this morning. I want you to turn to the book of 2 Kings this morning. 2 Kings chapter 18. And after you found that, uh, be finding 2 Chronicles 29. Maybe put your ribbon there or uh, an envelope, a piece of paper. Uh, but we'll have two, two passages of Scripture. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. We've turned to 2 Chronicles when we're looking more at Judah because it gives a little more colored depth uh, as to what's uh, taking place uh, in the southern kingdom. But this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, going against the flow, going against the flow. We'll read out 2 Kings chapter 18, begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. In 2 Kings chapter 18, begin to read in verse Number one, it says these words. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. He began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit, God, I pray, would challenge hearts and lives today. God, I first pray that you convict the one who's never been saved of their lostness, and their need for you. And God, I pray they'll choose today to turn from all the sin that's in their life, the sin that's going to send them to hell one day if they're, not, if, they don't, if they're not saved. And they'll turn and trust Jesus today to be Lord of their life and allow you to begin to make them into the man and woman that you want them to be. God, I pray for our church today that you really challenge every believer, everyone who names the name of Christ and calls themselves by default a disciple, a learner, and a follower of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that the real testimony of our lives will be in these days that we stand against the flow of worldliness that exists today. We'll be like Hezekiah in the positive ways and we'll let our life count for the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be the salt and the light that you've called us to be, that others can really see what, what a difference the gospel can make in someone's life. And God, I pray as we come to invitation where someone needs revival, where someone needs to make a commitment, God, I pray that they'll be faithful to respond to what you call them to do today. Bless this time. Your will be done in every heart and life. It's in Christ's name we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. After the reign of Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, Judah looked more like uh, the pagan nations around them. Uh, than the kingdom of priests that God had called them to be. Remember again that after the death of Solomon, there was a civil war in Israel. And there was the northern tribe that split to the north, ten tribes, and then Judah remained 
in the south. And Jeroboam, because he didn't want to lose his kingdom, he built and had made two molded calves. And the northern kingdom began to worship those golden calves, lest they go home and be homesick and God have his way in hearts and lives and the nation of Israel be healed. Well, much of that worldliness began to spill down onto the southern kingdom. And Judah, which was in the south, it began to look more like the world than it did, again, the kingdom of priests that God had called them to be. Well, Assyria was near to evading, near to invading and destroying the northern kingdom. And they did that in 722 B.C. For both the north and the south, and the south finally experienced God's judgment, in 586 B.C., it was because of two things. One, they perverted the worship of the one true God. And because of that, they didn't love their neighbor as their self. They, they, they uh, did not take care of the poor and, and the widows. And so those two sins really marked and marred the lives of those two nations. And so they, they had rebelled against the Lord in the north, and now the south had rebelled through the leadership of, of Ahaz. Second Kings chapter 17 and verse number 15 speaks of really what the spiritual climate was uh, in the northern kingdom. The Bible says that they had rejected, this is the people of Israel, his statutes, his covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies in which he had testified against them, they followed idols, they became idolaters, they went after other nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like men. Second Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore coming out from among them, be separate, save the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That was not a reality in their life. They were, they were not a different people. They, they were not who God had called them to be. And that began to spill down into the south. And King Ahaz had led the nation of Israel, of Judah in the south uh, to really do away with temple worship. He had set up idols. And now he had set up high places where worship could be to all these false gods. And so now a nation, listen, who had been given the privilege to introduce the living word and the written word to the world was marked and marred by the world. And so in the midst of all this rebellion, God raised up a man. His name is Hezekiah. He was one of the greatest kings that Judah ever had. And even though his dad, Ahaz, was a wicked uh, no account, he, was, he didn't let that corrupt upbringing mark and mar his life. He chose to grab hold of the Lord and to grab hold of his word. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 3 of our text, and 2 Kings 18, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He didn't let the negative training, Proverbs 22 and verse 6, that he had experienced mark his life. He chose to cling into positive examples that he had seen in the lives of others. And so the life of David motivated Hezekiah to stand against the flow of apathy and the flow of indifference toward God and his word. And friend, I want to challenge you this morning and just say boldly, we need that kind of man and woman in the world today. We need people who will stand up in the generation in which they live and their lives will be different because they're in line with the Word of God. We need people like that. And if you'd be that kind of man or woman like Hezekiah was in his generation, there are four things that must mark your life if you're going to stand against the flow. Number one, your life must be marked by Scripture. Your life must be marked by Scripture. Look what the Bible says again in 2 Kings chapter 18 and in verse number 3. The Bible says that this is Hezekiah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Look at verse number 6. 
for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, look, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God had commanded Moses. And so he had for his life a foundation of God's word. As he began this ministry of trying to turn the southern kingdom back to the Lord, to turn the southern kingdom back to be a people who worshiped the Lord in spirit and truth, to, to bring about a revival of people who were consecrated to the Lord. He couldn't do it apart from being an individual who was grounded and guided by the Word. And so the Word of God must be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. There must be, it, it must be reality. We have to know God's Word, stow God's Word, show God's Word, and then sow God's Word into the hearts and lives of others. And he did that. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and in verse number 10. It's a parallel passage, but from the Levitical perspective through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so it's just a different perspective of things that happen. The difference between what Luke might have seen and what John might have seen uh, looking at the life of, of Christ. And so verse number 10 says, And Hezekiah began to speak uh, to the elders and to uh, to, to the high priests and to the Levites. And he said in verse 10, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. And so he saw what was happening in the northern kingdom and he was able to connect the dots. The northern kingdom couldn't. Uh, in, in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 4, we see Amos revealing to the northern kingdom that God had begun to judge the northern kingdom. He sent them a series of challenges that started off low in their intensity. They were just inconveniences. And before, and God continued, but because they didn't repent, to just turn up the heat, so to speak. And before it's over with, people are dying. God starts with a low whisper, you need to change direction. You need to repent. You're living in rebellion. And before it's over, God is shouting at them, I'm going to send judgment against you if you don't repent. And so they were hard-headed, they were stiff-necked, but here's the problem. They couldn't connect the dots. God had given them a series of events to tell them, you're living in rebellion, and I told you in Leviticus 26, I told you in Deuteronomy 28, what's going to happen to you if you rebel against me and your word. And because you would not listen, judgment's going to come. And in, in the ministry of Hoshea, it came. It came. God sent Assyria in 722 B.C., and he judged them. Well, Hezekiah sees this. He's tender. He's sensitive. He sees the things that are happening in the world scene, and he's burdened. He realizes he has the opportunity. Listen, in the ministry of Ahaz, the southern kingdom was going the same direction that the northern kingdom was, away from God. They were drifting with the world. Whatever seemed, it was Book of Judges ministry, whatever seemed right unto man, that's what they did. Everybody did what they wanted to do. And he stopped, and he says in verse number 10, it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Well, where did he get that? It was from God's Word, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and verse number 14. God had given a great promise that if, his, if the nation ever sinned, if he sent difficulty, if he sent challenges, verse number 14 says, if my people in 2 Chronicles 7, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He knew what to do because Scripture marked his life. He was grounded 
in the Word of God. Verse number 15 of 2 Chronicles chapter 29. The Bible says that the, the priests and the Levites now began to gather their brethren together. They sanctified themselves. They went according to the commandments of the king at the words of the Lord. This wasn't something he just came up with on his own. He says, we've got a ministry to do, and that ministry, don't miss this, it was guided and it was shaped by God's word. Make no mistake in the group of people, everybody had an opinion of what needed to happen. And the majority probably didn't want to do this. If they'd have taken the vote, everybody was happy drifting in the direction that they were going. Now Hezekiah was going to stand against the flow, and so he was grounded in God's Word. Verse number 25 of Second Chronicles, chapter 29. The Bible says that he, he, he returns the nation to, to temple worship. He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David and Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. Why did they begin temple worship again the way they did? Because that's how God had said it was supposed to be done. And so again, they just didn't get together and get a think tank, or go find the local temple building or replanting expert. They just turned to the word of God, and again, let it be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse number 22. Discipleship is now taking place. The Levites are teaching people now. The leaders have experienced revival and now they're beginning to disciple others. And the Bible says Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And so he told them, keep doing what you're doing. The only way change is going to come to our nation, that we're going to turn back and be the kingdom of priests that God desires that we'll be, the light into the world that He wants us to be, is when we get serious about God's Word, and it's a living reality in our life. And so he stood against the flow because the Word of God was a reality in his life. Second Chronicles chapter 31, verses 20 through 21. Of the Bible says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. The reason that the nation of that the southern kingdom of Judah began to turn back to the Lord, don't miss this, is because God's word was central in their life. It was, it was a reality. You know, Psalms 119, verses 9 through 14 says this How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, no, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all your riches. They needed revival. They needed spiritual renewal. And the path and the roadmap that told them how to experience that was in God's Word. And the reason that Hezekiah was able to stand so securely and make the impact that he did, you need to see this this morning, is because Scripture was central in his life. His relationship with God, friend, was central, but it was grounded. It couldn't be separated from God's Word. And so the success and strength of your spiritual life, friend, it will not rise above your commitment to and your, con and your consumption of 
God's Word. You've got to be committed to the Word, but listen, you've got to be consuming God's Word. You've got to take the book. You've got to eat it, not literally, but figuratively. It's got to become a part of your life. Listen to me, friend. What you eat, you become. And when you eat God's Word, it becomes a part of you. You eat it through your eyes. You meditate on it. You think about it, and then you obey it. And so he was a success. He was able to stand because of that. And I ask you today, you know, will it be reality in your life? Will you stand against the flow of the world today? Will you stand against the indifference and the apathy and let your life cross? To do so, you must be a man or woman of the Word of God to do so. The second word that marked Hezekiah's life and must mark ours is that of separation. We must be a separated people from the world. Listen, we have to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We can't be of it. And, and he wasn't. Look at our text again in 2 Kings chapter 18. Verse number 4, the Bible says, He removed the high places. He broke the sacred, sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent. Not only did he restore temple worship and restore the people back to a new beginning of following the Lord, but he removed all the things that Ahaz and others had established to help take the people away from God. All of the worldly things that brought their devotion and their attention away from God, he took those things away. And not only did he take them away, he put them away. He destroyed them to where they couldn't be used again. He got rid of all the idols. Now, I want to remind you, friend, listen to me this morning. An idol is anything that you give more time and more devotion to and more affection to than Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, you know, I don't have a golden calf in my house. You don't have to. You can have, it, can be, it can be a habit. It can be a hobby. It can be a person. It can be a relationship. It can be anything, friend, that you love with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and with all your strength, and you love it more than Jesus Christ. That's an idol. And so Judah began to worship these idols. They began to give their devotion to these things. And so he helped restore them into a, a right focus and a right direction. But he got rid of all of these things that competed for their interest. He got rid of them. Anywhere there were competing interests, he got rid of it. I'll tell you why. Because he was serious about revival. He was serious about it. He was serious about letting his life count in his generation. He was serious about standing against the flow. And you need to understand, the stand that he was taking for the Lord, it wasn't popular. Nobody else was doing it. Israel was happy going in the direction they were going. Sure, there was a righteous remnant. There was a small group of people that was glad this was happening. But listen, they were the exception and not the rule. But he knew to do that, friend, they had to be a separated people. Not odd, but separated. They had to be separated to the Lord's service. Now, I want you to know, friend, good things in your life can become bad things. Things that kept in the right place that God can allow you to enjoy you can become so devoted to them and so worshiping of them that they become a bad thing in your life. I'll give you an example. Look at verse number 4 of uh, 2 Kings 18. Thou says he removed these high places. He broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image. Now look at this. This is interesting. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For in those days the children of Israel had burned incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. 
Now, we mentioned this and we referenced this when we preached through the first part of John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus has said, even, if Mo, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that was a reference to what took place in Numbers chapter 21. The nation of Israel uh, began to murmur and complain about the way. It was difficult. It was challenging. It was hard. You know, they didn't take a vote on it. And it wasn't the direction people wanted to go. And then they began to complain about the food that God had sent them. And part of that food was the manna that God had sent, which was a type of Christ. And he said, our soul loathes. We hate this worthless manna. And when they said that, friend, they were talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the type of him. And God said, that's enough. I've heard about all of your ungrateful your undedicated, whining mouths that I'm going to listen to. And so God just sent snakes in their midst, I'll remind you again. And everywhere somebody whined and complained, they started getting snake bit. Well, before that happened, they hated Moses. He's legalistic. We don't like you. And now all of a sudden, you know, they need to get put on the prayer list, and it turns into Pastor Appreciation Day. And Moses, we love you. And you're the best. You're our bestie. You're, you're our fave. And, you know, would you please... You know, pray to God for us. And so Moses, in his humility and his tenderness, he went and prayed to God, and God gave him a plan. God says, I want you to take a piece of bronze, which represents judgment. I want you to fashion it into the likeness of what the judgment was. That was a serpent. And I want you to put it on a pole. I want you to lift it up. And whoever looks by faith to that serpent that's held on the pole, though they're dying and though they deserve to die, in grace and in mercy, I'll heal them. And he did that. And so every time someone looked at the serpent, they lived. But listen to me. The serpent didn't do anything, this bronze serpent. It was just a representation of the grace and the mercy of God. And really it was a picture of what Jesus Christ would one day do for us. But somebody kept that little snake and thought, you know what, we need to bring that on, out on homecoming. And we need to celebrate how many years, you know it is every year since, since that's been hammered out. And we're going to put it in a place of prominence. And so, friend, listen, it was something good to remember what God had done, but here's the problem. They began to worship the symbol of God's grace and mercy rather than the God who had extended his grace and mercy. It had been, it had been something good, but they began to worship it, and so it became something bad. And I'm sure not going to run through a list this morning because I'll, I'll offend somebody. and Maybe you'll get offended if I leave whatever your problem is out. You're just that nutty about it. But I want you to know this, friend. There's a lot of good things in life that kept in their proper place. God will allow you to have and even bless you in the midst of having it. It may be something that you can use to reach people for Christ. But when it takes the place of Christ, it becomes an idol. And you've got to call it exactly what it is. And it's worthless. Everything that doesn't go to heaven, listen, ultimately, it's worthless. It has no eternal value whatsoever. It's going to burn up in the fires of judgment one day. And that's why, listen, one of the reasons that he led the separated life was because he called things by the right name. Look at verse number 4. He, he took the serpent that Moses had made until those days uh, that they had burned incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. You know what that word means? It means worthless. He called it that. He said, look, it's just a piece of bronze. It can't do anything. It can't do anything. And a lot of people do that in churchianity. You know, they think, they think you know, we, we worship the church. We worship our Sunday school class. 
We, we worship this. We, I worship my political party. I worship my family. I worship my kids, my grandkids. Listen, friends, all of those things have places in your life, but apart from Christ, they're all worthless. Apart compared to Him, everything is worthless. It's Jesus first above all things. And so He took that thing that had been good but was a stumbling block to them, and he broke it. He got rid. He said, you're going to worship this. You're not going to do it anymore. And so he took it, and he got rid of it. And so he was serious about separation. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 3 through 7, he called the people to repentance, to turn away to live separated lives. Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse number 16, he called the people to be cleansed. Cleansed from... Free from the world's influence. We've been spending time on Sunday nights preaching through uh, the, the last message to the last church, the, the church of Laodicea. And tonight we'll close that study out. We've given you different ways that you can keep from being lukewarm to maintain your spiritual temperature. And the reason the church and the reason then and the reason the church today becomes lukewarm is an influence of worldliness. And in order to stay that friend, daily we've got to be cleansed. We've got to be renewed through the washing of the Word that we can begin to see the world through the, through the lens of Scripture for, for what it is. And that's what he called the people to do. He went to the temple and he separated it from, for service. Now remember during Ahaz, they, they just used the temple as a big storage unit. You know, they, they just started putting garbage and, and junk in it. That happens to churches all the time. People just start shoving stuff in rooms and... You know, people, why is it people bring their, you know, somebody will buy a new TV and then they'll bring their 1969 model with a box full of tubes to the church like you've done God a favor. You know, give us the new TV and you keep the junk. How about that? But everybody just wants to bring their junk to the church. You know, and it stuff starts just getting stored in rooms and we've got to have a clean out day and get a dumpster. Well, that's what had happened. And man, he started, clean, don't miss this, he started cleaning out the temple so the temple could be used for what God had intended it to be. Friend, I want to remind you, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth and to us that when you got saved, your body is the temple of God. And when you get junk in the temple, it can't be used the way God desires to use it. You've got to be a separated person. Listen, you can't have filth in your life Partly, and then God on the other side. God will not be a part of flesh. He will not do it. And so he called the people to be separated, and we have to be separated. Start with your life. Get the trash out of God's temple. No one can stand against the flow of the world when God's temple is full of trash, and there are things in your life that are before God. If you're going to stand against the flow in these days, you must be separated to God and to him alone. You can't ride the fence. There can be no other gods before him. Number three, your life must also be marked by surrender. Hezekiah's walls. Look what the Bible says again in 2 Kings 18. And in verse number five, the Bible says he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. He, he didn't go with the flow. Everybody else is trusting in self, trusting in a, a, some, some worldly leader, trusting in a family member, trusting in tradition. Trusting in idols, 
Trust in their heart. Oh, you hear that one all the time. Just follow your heart. Let me tell you where your heart's going to lead you to, death. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but in its ways are death. That's where your heart will always take you to. So all these people are trusting. Hezekiah says, no, that hasn't worked out. God, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, with all my heart and lean not unto my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him and trust that he'll direct my paths. He said, that's what I'm going to do. And so the reason he was able to stand was that he, he trusted in the Lord. He was surrendered to God. Look what the Bible says in verse number 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that there were none after him. Uh, that there were none after him. There was none among him or all the kings of Israel nor who were before him. What's that say? He wasn't like anybody else. He absolutely stood alone and asked others to come stand with him. And friend, I'm telling you, in the day in which we're living, if you stand for Christ and you desire to be an all-in Christian, you are going to be in the minority. Not the majority. You're going to be in the minority. And listen, if you're one of these individuals that that just because you have low self-esteem and you've created this, this brand of yourself, this image that you promote through all the ways that promotion is available to do today, then you're probably not going to be all in for God because you are so concerned what everybody else thinks about you. But my friend, if you've come to a place in your life where you really don't care what anybody else thinks, that you only care what God thinks, then you're on the right path to standing against the flow of the world in these days. Because you must be wholly surrendered to him. And so he just, he just trusted in the Lord. He didn't, he didn't go with the flow. Nobody after him, nobody before him was like that. Verse number 6 says, and that he held fast to the Lord. When times got tough, when, when there was, when, and, and certainly there was, listen, the, the, the Bible bears out, I don't have time to do it tonight, but I trust each of you will be back here Wednesday night if you're not serving in another various ministry in our church. You'll be able to hear that when the Levites began to go and to challenge others to come back to temple worship, the people laughed at them. So we're not going to do that. They thought they were absolutely stupid, what they were doing. He didn't care. The Bible says in the midst of all of that, he held fast to the Lord. He was surrendered. He held fast to him. He did not depart, verse number 6, from following him, and he kept his commandments. What does that mean? He did them. Obedience to God's word was a reality in his life. Not something he talked about, not something he prayed about, not something he just posted about. It was a reality. He did God's word. And that's the reason he was able to have the effect that he had. God worked through that faithfulness to bring about a national revival in Israel. And listen, it may have only been short-lived, but at least it happened. Somebody said to Evangelist Billy Sunday one time, she says, you know, Billy, you know, revival comes to the church. You know, the effects of revival come to the church, but they don't last. He says, well, neither do the effects of a bath, but it sure is good to take one, isn't it? And you think about that. Now, I want to tell you something, friend. If revival only comes for one day to your heart and to your family and to this church, then praise the Lord, it'd be good for us if we had it. It'd be good. The effects of it would be beneficial. But, but it was, he, he continued. He kept. And look what happens in verse number 7. Everybody else was given in. The Lord was with him. He prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. The king of Assyria and Assyria represented the world. 
It represented the world's thought. What was popular? What was in, here's a word for you. What was trending? What everybody was doing. What was popular? It was the, Assyria was the latest hashtag. And he says, I don't care about that. He says, I rebel against that. Would the God, you know, that the church would rebel against the Word and quit rebelling against, I mean, the world and quit rebelling against the Word of God. And stop being so stiff and, and, and get, the, get the word legalistic out of your mouth. And just say, man, you know what? I want to get as close to Jesus Christ as I can possibly get. And whatever I have to lose to do it, God, you take it away. I want to be right with you. I want my life to count. I want my life to stand. My friend, I'm telling you, you're going to serve someone or something. And he wasn't willing. He was surrendered to the Lord. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his reign over your heart, then all these things will be added unto you. So he was willing to stand. He, he was willing to be separated. And he was willing to be surrendered to Christ above all things. And I'll tell you another word that's going to have to mark your life, and that's steadfastness steadfastness it's great to, listen the, the word of god must be a reality in your life you, you you must be marked by scripture you must be marked by separation you you must be a sep and, and again listen holiness again is not oddness you know it's not and i just will say holiness is not ladies you you having to mow grass in a long skirt it's not you going without makeup i just won't say Praise God, for, I'm all for makeup, you know. You ladies keep going to the paint and body shop and keep on going again the next week. We, all us men, we're, men can I just hear an amen, we're all for it. It's great. It's all about modesty. It's about modesty. So holiness isn't oddness. It's, it's about being separated to the Lord for His exclusive use. You belong to Jesus and nobody else. And you're going to have to be surrendered to His Lordship. And in that, you're going to be surrendered to His Word. Every bit of it. But there must be steadfastness. There may, it, you can have the best of intent. But in those moments of testing, there must be steadfastness. And you will be tested as a disciple. It's going to happen. James chapter 1, uh, study we're going to start here next week in the book of James. And, and if you're not involved in a Sunday morning Bible study class, get in one. Join one. We're going, to be, we're going to begin a new study in the book of James. James says in James chapter 1, verse number 2, listen. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And Hezekiah was going to be tested. He had boldly stood, and he would, but he had to continue to stand. I'm going to tell you, friend, it matters how you start. There's only one place to start in faith, and that's in Jesus Christ. It matters how you finish. You need to finish well. But listen, it also matters what your, what your life looks like in between. There must be steadfastness. And God allowed Hezekiah to be tested, and he will you. It's been wisely said, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. You know, have you ever go buy a new car, and they say, well, do you want to test drive it? No, I trust you. I'm sure everything is great. Where do I sign? Nobody does that. You want to go test drive that car. You want to listen to You want to look up underneath to see if there's any oil drips. You want to see how it stops. 
You want to smell if some smoker had it before you did and you're going to die of third-hand smoke driving down the road or it's got dog hair everywhere. In it. You're going to, you want to test it. Well, your faith is going to be tested because a faith that can't be tested, it can't be trusted. And so Hezekiah was going to be tested. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. The northern kingdom invades of our text in 2 Kings 18. The northern kingdom invades is invaded by Assyria. Now, it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, that the king, king of Israel, that Shalemeser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Now, listen. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria, and he put them in Hala by the harbor of the river Gozan and in the city of Medes because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God but had transgressed his covenant and all that Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded, and they would not hear nor do them. Now listen. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and he took them. Now he's getting close to Jerusalem. Now he's taken some of those outer cities. Well, things were easy when we were just trying to call the people back to revival. We were, you know, we had church cleanup day, and we got all the garbage and all the trash out of all the rooms. We rearranged all the worship furniture that Ahaz had unarranged. We called the people back to revival and renewal. We're, we're, we're talking to people. We're, we're doing discipleship. But now, listen, now the enemy's come to town. Now death is before us. Now our faith in God, whether we're really going to cling to him, whether we're going to trust him to deliver us, now it's come to pass. Now we're going to see, listen to me, whether we're really going to stand against the flow and let our life and let our faith be seen. The Bible says in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up. He took all these cities. Verse 14, Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Turn away from me whatever you, you, you have, you've done to, and impose on me whatever you, you want to, and I'll pay it. Just, just don't come against us. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. Uh, and I'm not going to reference these because our time is short today. But, but in, uh, in chapter 20, verses 12 through 19, he turned against the Lord. Second Chronicles 32, verse 23, he turned against the Lord. And it was because of a lack of faith. He wasn't willing to be steadfast in his commitment. 2 Chronicles 32, verse number 26. Pride entered his heart. Now it wasn't, don't miss this. Now it wasn't about glorifying God. It was about glorifying him. And God sent judgment into the southern kingdom because of all this. God didn't leave him, but God took his hand of protection back that he might test him. Look at verse number 7 of our text again in 2 Kings 18. The Lord was with him, and he prospered him wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. God prospered him. Why did God prosper him? Why did God protect him? Why did God give him spiritual strength? Notice it. Look at verse number 6. 
because he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept his commandments. He trusted in him. He was steadfast in the faith. Brothers and sisters, listen to me this morning. It matters not how much you believe the word of God. If you're not willing to be steadfast in practicing it, you cannot stand. You'll become lukewarm and you will fail. You will fail. If you're going to stand for Christ, you have to keep standing. You have to keep being steadfast. And part of that happening is you have to daily refit and resubmit. And I wish I had the time to tell you how to do that this morning. But praise be unto the Lord, I get to have a whole hour tonight to tell you how to do that. And so trust you'll come back and listen to that. The successful Christian life, friend, listen, it's not a sprint. It's a jog. It's a steadfast jog following Jesus every single day. Why, why did he have success when he had success? He followed the Lord. He was steadfast in that. When he failed, why did he fail? He turned and he floated along with the world. He failed to stand against the flow. He went with the world. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is your life really different from the lost world around you? Be honest before God. I, listen, I don't mean on Sunday. Every, every churchianity person, you know, yeah, I come to church. I'm different from, you know, they're all at home mowing grass and drinking beer. I'm at church this morning. No, I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. Is your life different than the world? If it's not, friend, you're drifting with it. I want to tell you the only things that drift with the flow, that's dead fish. You're just a dead, bloated Christian. And the only thing that happens is you blow up in the sun and stink. That's the testimony of a lot of the Christians, just, just floating along with the world. If your life's going to count these days, friend, you've got to stand against the flow. You've got to be steadfast. You know that, have a, the question is, have you purposed in your heart to be like Hezekiah in, in faithfulness, in his faith, to stand against the flow, or are you just going along with it? 2 Kings 18, 6 through 7 again. He was blessed because he was grounded in the Lord. I reference you to John chapter 15 and verse 5, one of my most favorite passages of Scripture, where Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Hezekiah was a success and had the most spiritual influence when he simply abided in the Lord. And what God did, he did through him, in spite of him. The branch must steadfastly be connected to the vine or it will not bear fruit. Steadfastness must be a reality in our life. That kind of life stands against the flow. And when we truly get a hold of that truth, and listen, and it becomes a reality, a real reality in our lives, we'll make an impact on this world that, that Christ intended. How many of you are just so excited about how America is right now? Anybody just raise your hand and say, boy, I love everything about what's going on in our country and in Washington. I just, I love the immorality that's on television. I just love that my kids and grandkids, just one click can be looking at pornography or listening to all kinds of ungodly things. Just so excited about that. Anybody? Anybody excited about that? No, you're not. I want to tell you, friend, a new president, a new Congress, a new sin, they can't do it, they can't reform that. The only thing that changes that is Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm telling you, friend, the, reach, the, the church is a joke today to the world. It's a joke. The reason why is because the church looks more like the world than like the righteousness of Christ. And God gives Christians in these days that will quit saying, well, this person does it, and that deacon does it, and this music leader does it. It doesn't matter. The question is, am I grounded in Christ, and am I standing against the flow and being steadfast and letting my life count for Jesus Christ? You've got to ask that question. And if, if, it's, if it's a no then change this morning. Let your life count for Christ in these days. Will you not stand for Christ today? Let's bow our heads. Friend, that begins by you having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't stand unless if, if you're spiritually dead. You need to be born again. There's never been a moment where you've repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, believing that he died that he rose again, and you turn from sin and submit your life to his lordship. Would you not do that today? He loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you and take you and make you into the man or woman that he wants you to be. But you've got to choose to turn and receive him. Would you not call out to him now? Grace and mercy, would you not do that? Just call out to him today so that you can experience his grace and mercy today. Silently where you sit, just pray like this. If you would, straight to the heart of a God who loves you and sent his son to die for you and who will save you if you'll call out to him today. Pray just like this. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. As I turn from all the sin that's in my life, God, I lay my life at the feet of Jesus. I want him to be Lord of my life. Take me now, make me to the man or woman you want me to be. Help me to stand against the flow that's in the world and make my life what you'd have it be. That's my prayer. If you prayed that, I want to invite you to make your way forward.